Good morning, everybody. So good to be with you. If you're brand new uh, with us, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is a joy to gather together here today. And I also want to take a moment and welcome anybody joining us online. Uh, We're so grateful that you, through the power of technology, have joined us. So uh, we'd love to welcome you. Can we just give a big hand clap for everybody? We miss you, and uh, we'd love to see you in person sometime soon. So I'm going to start with this question. What does your Thanksgiving to Christmas look and feel like? I wonder if it doesn't look like parties and you got to prepare for the parties and you got to schedule them, whether you're going to them and what am I going to wear? And then if we're going to host a party and we have all the, all the silverware and do we have the plates and what are we going to have and who's going to bring what and coordination and I got to buy gifts and I got to buy gifts for my, my, my friends, my roommates, my family, my, my siblings. And then what about extended family? Do I buy it for this uncle? But if I buy it for this uncle, then I have to buy it for that uncle. And, and what about my my, the neighbors, maybe some chocolates, and so I got uh, cookies. I got to bake some cookies. And, and what about my coworkers? Do I give? And what do I give to my boss? Do I? Is it too much? I don't want to look like I'm brown nosing. And so, like, how does that work? And you know. And then, uh, what about that person and this random person? And, oh, we're going to send a Christmas card this year, so we need to get the you know friends or family together, and we're going to take a big picture. And then we got to oh, we got to put it, figure out the labels, and who, who's going to get it? And I got to update addresses, and I got to print them out, and then I got to get stamps, and I got to send them out, and then I got to make sure that I clean the house because we got to decorate, and so we got to take some things out and bring things in from the garage, and we got to make sure that we do all that. I got to bake some cookies, more cookies, and I got to oh, and I. Forgot forgot about that gift. I got to run to the store and I've got to arrange travel because we're going. Or if you're not arranging travel, you're at least preparing your home for somebody to stay in your home. Oh, and there's normal work too, by the way. You know, you got to go to work and you got to go to school and you got to finish up this project and you got to make this phone call and you got to take care of that. Some of you are like, okay, okay. (laughs) I know, he just reminded you of four things that you forgot to do. The demand of the secular Christmas season is to be in a huge hurry. But the aim of Advent is to instill a quiet slowness into our souls. In our world, we often live at a violent pace where there's no margin between moments to make sense of the world we live in or our own stories. It's only accidents or sickness or setbacks or significant strains that shake us from this frenetic way of living. We oftentimes lose the rhythm of grace when we live at a a violent pace. We lose the ability to appreciate and savor and reflect and linger and enjoy. And when we are in a rush like that, we have a really difficult time waiting. I mean, have you ever said, I don't have time to wait? This is the third week of Advent, the season that we find ourselves in before the Christmas season, which starts on Christmas Day. And Advent is the season where we remember the first arrival of Jesus, and we wait for His second coming too. But Advent isn't just about arrival. Advent is about the waiting and the yearning that precedes the arrival. In Advent... As we remember Jesus' first arrival, we enter Israel's waiting, the people of God who are anticipating the promised Messiah. And if you look at the waiting of Israel, they had top-shelf, next-level waiting. If we look at the Scriptures, we can start in the first couple of chapters in Genesis chapter 12. 
where after God had created this perfect world and sin and death had entered into the world and it was broken and God made a determination to save and rescue his world, he initiates a rescue plan by, by creating a family and he says to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whenever, whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth. You ever been on a road trip, either with kids or maybe you remember this as a kid? What is the one question that gets asked over and over and over again in, on the road trip? Are we there yet? If, if you're on the road trip at about this time, are we there yet? No, 2,000 years to go. Zechariah chapter 9, throughout the Old Testament, we have these prophets that are reminding the children of Israel of God's promise. Because as they wait, and 100 years, and 300 years, and 500 years, and 1,000 years pass by, they're still waiting. Are we, are, did we miss it? And there's reminders from prophets to say, He's coming. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So this passage is the prophetic statement about Jesus, and it's fulfilled with Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. They didn't know this at that time, so they might have thought, are we there yet? 500 years to go at that point, but they didn't know how long. Malachi, the last passage, or excuse me, book in the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi says in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Another prophetic statement about Jesus. Are we there yet? No. 400 years to go. And in the 400 years, you know what happens between that and Jesus? Silence. Like, like, not even like another one of those. Not a, are we there yet? Oh, well, let me just remind you. Now, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around 400 years, let alone 400 years of silence as we wait. You know, if you have a paper Bible, for any of you who are under 20, it's made out of a tree. <laughs> There's no buttons on it. This right here is the end of the Old Testament. This is the beginning of the New Testament. And between that is that page right there. That blank page represents 400 years. And so we read from there, and then we flip the 400-year page, and we start in Matthew. 400 years. The nation in which we live isn't even 400 years old. 
You know what isn't hard for me to wrap my head around? Is the longing for Jesus to come again and for him to come more deeply into my own life. And we live in a culture that hates waiting. You know that the, the average time that somebody's willing to wait for a web page to load? Eight seconds. One one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand, four one thousand, five one thousand, six one thousand, seven one thousand, eight one thousand. I cannot believe this thing. Let's try something else. What do we really dislike when we're maybe working on a computer? The beach ball of doom. Right? Because you think, how long am I going to have to wait for this? I mean, how long are we going to have to wait for the Broncos to, like, actually play football? I mean, they lose a game, and all of a sudden, everyone's like, fire him, and I can't believe we did this, and we're still waiting. Do you know that we spent two years of our lives waiting in lines? I have found that maybe lines specifically are one of the ways that God builds patience into my life because I, no matter what line I choose, even if it's the shortest line, it always becomes the, long, the line that takes the longest. Multiple lines, and I'm always going to it with like a, maybe I'll choose the longest line because the longest line is probably going to be the shortest line, and it's the longest line for a reason. You know, it doesn't matter which line I'm in, somebody's going to get up there and pay with pennies and beads. You know, like that's just... <laughs> how it works for me. And certainly there are much more significant things that we can be waiting for. I, I know the agony of waiting for the doctor to come out of surgery. The waiting for test results. Waiting maybe for to find the spouse that you're longing for. To waiting for kids, maybe even dealing with infertility, waiting for the right job to come along or to have an opportunity to have a job that pays the bills and the gap's not so big, waiting for God to intervene, intervene in finances or intervene in a health crisis or intervene in a broken relationship, intervene in places that are not reconciled, intervene in what seems like a hopeless situation. I wonder if you were to reflect, what are you waiting for? What comes to your mind? What ache maybe sits in your heart? I'm a big U2 fan, the band that's been around forever, and I started, I was a fan starting in junior high, and Bono just came out, he's the lead singer of U2, and he just wrote his memoir called Surrender, and so I've been on this little U2 uh, kick and nostalgia, and so I was putting this message together, I was reminded of the song Peace on Earth, found on their album called All That You Can't Leave Behind. And the lyrics of the song start like this, heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around, sick of sorrow, sick of pain, sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. And then towards the end of the song, it says, and hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? 
I think this song captures so well the human ache and yearning that we all have for shalom. Peace as talked about in the scripture and as announced by the angels on the night that Jesus was born in a manger. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men is not like, okay, everybody's just going to get along and we're all just going to be fine now. No, that peace is the word shalom, which is that all things are right. Everything is put into order. True justice has been resolved and it has come. It is all right. And I think this song captures so much the weariness in the waiting for true shalom, for things to be right. God seems to be okay with taking his time, and he seems to be okay with us waiting a long time. And so Advent, in engaging us in waiting, also asks the question then, can we trust God while we wait? I've come to realize that I don't like waiting because I like control. I like what I want when I want it. And so really, I don't mind waiting on God as long as it's on my terms. See, we don't mind waiting on God as long as it is on our terms. If you're wondering if you struggle with control at all, just study the ways you respond when someone or something disrupts your finely tuned plans for a day. And it's not, though, that our lives are to be out of control. Robert Mulholland Jr. in his book, Invitation to a, Junior, to a Journey, says, Christians do not live without order or control, but they are liberated from dependency on those systems and structures for their sense of self. In other words, I'm able to live open-handedly and trust God. David, the psalmist, leans into this and expresses this so beautifully in, in Psalm 13. So the Psalms are the prayer book of the Scriptures, and so I want us to take a moment and look at this so we can learn how to navigate waiting well. Psalm chapter 13, starting in verse 1, says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I don't know if we can even gather the sentiment or the tone of which G, uh, David is writing this psalm. The, the, maybe you can imagine in your own heart the desperation and the, God, like you feel like you can't even get it out, or maybe it's laced with a little bit of anger, or there's an undercurrent of anxiety underneath it. But have you ever asked that? How long, God? Have you forgotten me? How long will I have to deal with this pain? How long do I have to deal with this loneliness? How long do I have to deal with this sickness? How long do I have to deal with this brokenness? How long do I have to deal with this reminder? How long do I have to struggle and wait and long and live with this ache deep in my heart? Are you even there, God? And he's, the psalmist goes on and he says, look on me and answer Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What's David saying? Just give me a word. Look on me and answer. 
I need to hear from you. 400 years of silence. You might say, I can't imagine that, but I can imagine four years or 10 years or 20 years of silence. God, can you just give me a word, a phrase, a little reminder of the promise of your nearness somehow, because it'll just a, a sliver of hope, because right now I'm on a thread, and I'm not sure how much longer I can hang on. So what is David teaching us here? What is the scriptures indicating to us? Pray in the waiting. Where do we oftentimes go when we're waiting and frustrated in the waiting? Facebook, friends, Texts, TV, a place of escape, a place of numbing. Not that that sharing with a friend is the wrong thing. That's great. We need lifelines. The issue is, have we, in doing all those other, of those other things, stopped reaching out to the one that we're waiting on? And when you reach out to him, will you be honest? Like brutally honest? David is not here, Almighty oh, God. The one who has all of the world mapped out, and I trust in you. How long will you be? How long, God? Brutally honest. See, prayer is not about being nice before God. Prayer is about being honest before God. And that's why the psalmist in the 23rd Psalm says in verse 4, even when I walk through the darkest valley, you are there. Even as I'm in the worst of places, which means God waits with us while we wait on Him. God waits with us while we wait on Him. Which gets expanded in Romans chapter 8. In the message version, Paul writes, All around us we observe a pregnant creation. The difficult times of pain throughout the world are simply birth pangs, but it's not only around us, it's within us. The Spirit of God is arousing us within. We're also feeling the birth pangs. These sterile and barren bodies of ours are yearning for full deliverance. That is why waiting does not diminish us any more than waiting diminishes a pregnant mother. We are enlarged in the waiting. We, of course, don't see what is enlarging us, but the longer we wait, the larger we become, and the more joyful our expectancy. Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting, God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. See, prayer helps us to reimagine waiting through a lens that gives us a bigger perspective. Henry Nouwen wrote in his book, The Path of Waiting, a waiting person is a patient person. The word patience means the willingness to stay where we are and live the situation out to the full in the belief that something hidden there will manifest itself to us. Inpatient people are always expecting the real thing to happen somewhere else and therefore want to go elsewhere. The moment is empty, but patient people dare to stay where they are Patient living means to live actively in the present and wait there. Waiting then is not passive. It involves nurturing the moment as a mother nurtures the child that is growing in her womb. That's the waiting we feel. But David doesn't end his psalm there. It's two more verses and he says, But I trust 
in your unfailing love. Amidst the ache, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises, for he has been good to me. The way he ends that, it's really important that we take notice of the fact that he says, has been. What's he doing? He is remembering. We need to remember in the waiting. Because sometimes we, we live in a culture that's a, what have you done for me lately type of culture. But when the present is stormy and the future is uncertain, we look back and remember God's faithfulness. God promised Throughout the Old Testament, and there was promises, and there was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting, but Jesus did come. God came through on his promises. God delivers on what he promises. He will come again. There will be true shalom. Why do we know that? Because he has been faithful to his promise. He will be faithful to his promise. So we can praise him even in the in the painful moments of yearning and aching. Why? Because he has been faithful. So the question for each one of us is how has God been faithful to you? How can you be reminded? What can you bring to mind? This is the reason that throughout Advent, we're encouraging everybody as a weekly practice to engage in this Advent devotional. There's an Advent devotional card on a seat around you, and there's a QR code on the back. If you haven't started it yet, you can start. Just jump right in on the date because it's a, it goes through so many of the Old Testament prophetic statements and promises and then puts them in the light of Jesus and the fulfillment of the promise as a reminder that God delivers on His promise, that as we find ourselves aching and waiting now, God delivers on His promise. And so we can sit and be reminded of that and know that he is faithful and true. Encouragement in the weekly practice is also that you would sit in silence for two minutes after you read it, read the scripture, because silence challenges our sense of control. When we are sitting in silence, we are waiting on God and we aren't doing anything. And it's a reminder that we are not in control, but we trust the one who has and holds all things together. Psalm chapter 62, verse 1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. For some of you here today, you might find yourself in a place of longing, but you find yourself in a place of longing like you've tried to fulfill different aspects of the depths of your heart. Maybe you're longing for fulfillment, longing for, for relationship, maybe longing, think, oh, if I get enough money, if I get this career, and, and you, you get those things, you've gotten those things, and you find them still lacking, you're still wanting. The reality is, is that only Jesus can fulfill the longings of the human heart, that he is the only one that can touch the deepest ache and the deepest yearning and longing. It is not that a job that's fulfilling or finances aren't good, but they're not good enough. It's not that they don't satisfy, they don't satisfy deeply enough. Only Jesus can do that. And so for any of you here maybe today, 
I would encourage you to respond to the invitation of Jesus today to put your faith in him. To say, Jesus, you are the one. You're the one that I've been learning and longing, yearning and longing for. I put my trust in you today. You can do that with a simple prayer. Maybe just under your breath, Jesus, I give you my life. It's not the only prayer that we need to pray to God, but it's the beginning of a journey of surrender and of allowing Jesus to be the one who fulfills our hearts in the deepest of places. I'm going to take a moment and pray for you and anyone in the room. Really, the reality is, as we all today say, God, we surrender and we give you our lives. It is only in you that we find our deepest purpose, we find true love, we find belonging, we find our identity. And so today we say thank you and we surrender our lives again to you in your ways. Would you help us in the waiting, in the yearning, in the longing, whether it be for you to meet us in a deeper way or for, it, for you to come back as we see injustice around us and all over the world. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you meet us, help us to reach out to you even in the darkest of days and to be reminded of the promises that you fulfill knowing you always keep your promises. This we pray in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen.